we're getting those kinds of questions from you know people that want to go into metrics and dev metrics like how will my engineers feel is this going to mess up my culture and our answer is your developers need to choose the metrics okay we provide a ton of metrics they need to choose what metrics to focus on what metrics they believe in and where to start and if you're doing this as an, a bottom-up approach then it's their choice and it's a tool for them to improve not a tool for management to say you're doing better than she is hello and welcome to devops sauna this year the devops conference happened on march 8th and 9th and if you happen to miss the event don't worry you can listen and watch all speeches online we invited some exciting people to our podcast to share some backstories around the themes we covered in the event. Today we have Lauri Huhta, a data engineer and an MLOps consultant from Data Nuggets, and Yishai Biri, CTO of Linear B. Lauri and Yishai discuss about the data-driven engineering, what is behind the old problem of data integrity in the software industry, how to solve it, and how to approach metrics right. Join me in the conversation. Thank you, Yishai, and thank you, Lauri, for joining the DevOpsona podcast. Thanks. Great being here. Thanks. Good to be here again. Yes. Uh, actually, we had a session with Lauri talking about AI in DevOps. And uh, of course, when we talked about AI, it relates to the subject of today, which is data-driven engineering. As I was preparing to this episode, I took a look at what Linear B has said. And there was one particular sentence that stuck out. Uh, verbatim, we analyzed 733,000 pull requests. Yes. What did you find out from that analysis? First of all, the, the, these pull requests, um, this is data that we have collected from our customers. They represent work of dev teams, you know, hundreds of thousands of dev teams working on what is maybe entirely commercial software. So this is not open source. And these are all people paid to work on software for companies that write products or write products, um, software for others. And when we look at those uh, pull requests, we were looking mostly at the, the dynamics, not the content, not the actual code, obviously, but the dynamics of how does uh, a change to the code base uh, progress from uh, initial commits through a pull request and a review cycle or a merge request, if you're happening to use that term, review cycle. Uh, back and forth, additional commits, eventually getting merged. And when we look at those, you know, very different pull requests in terms of size, in terms of how many files are involved and other aspects, I think the most striking thing uh, that we found is there is a lot of wait time, a lot of idle time in those pull requests. Pull requests are async by nature, right? I'm putting a change, I'm waiting for someone to take a look and review my my code, and there is a back and forth conversation, which is almost by definition asynchronous. I think pull requests um, really started as a way to do software with open source and distributed very loosely coupled groups of people working together on a code base. And even when they're done in inside the same room or the same virtual room now that we're all half remote, we're seeing a lot of idle time, a lot of wait between the stages. And it was interesting for us to try and understand what's going on. What are the types of idle time? Is it some person that has started to work on something and then they're coming back? 
uh, after a day or two, or is this back and forth between people? We've seen both, and we we can quantify different behaviors when things are transitioning between people, or when the same person has just been disrupted and needs to do something else, and then get back to continuing a code review or adding more commits and so on. But I think again, the most striking thing was that oh, so much of the time this pull request is doing nothing. Nothing is progressing. There's no one working on it. And it's just waiting for someone to pick it up. Yeah, I remember I've been talking with my colleagues in the past. And when we were following these um, same kind of metrics, uh, you could say that you can follow these things in your project management or in your like Git, uh, you're following your repositories. And you can find the parallels, like how long it takes that a feature starts and goes through the uh, processes and you release it and the same but in the aspect of code and i feel like the distinction of this is quite important to make because when you are following a ticket through like project management system it's usually something that has been decided it's like follows a structure and that has been planned in your sprint meetings it comes usually from a higher up uh, needs what you have to actually produce but with when you are analyzing like pull requests or like this kind of git data in general it gives i think much better view of how the processes are because that data is usually usually quite natural like it shows clearly how do the developers work in there and what happens in there, like my colleagues sometimes put like, okay, like a Jira ticket and the data behind it is often like how the processes go. But the Git, Git data is more like how happy the people are working on it. And if you can see that no one is reacting to your pull request, you are probably not going to be a happy developer in there. <laughs> yeah. I think one one other major difference that we see between these kinds of systems as these systems represent like partial views into the dev process. If you're trying to understand what a development team or group is working on and how they're creating value, you can look at Git, you can look in Jira or the relevant uh, uh, systems uh, of these roles. The data is going to be split between these kinds of systems. And there's a major difference between the Git side of the house and the Jira side of the house in that Jira depends on people saying what they're doing. Right. The actual work is not in Jira. It's being tracked there. People need to move, uh, issues or tickets between statuses and assign them. Everything is about reporting and saying that I did something or that I plan to do something. Whereas in Git, it's the actual work that gets logged. It's the actual commits, the actual, um, conversation. If you're doing, uh, the layer on top of Git uh, for pull requests and whatnot. And we have found that. Um, as a source of truth or as a ground truth for what's going on in the dev process, you want to focus on uh, sources that do not depend on people reporting. So Git is, you know, our solution begins with Git and GitHub, GitLab, or the review provider you're using, um, and then looks in additional systems to tie all the information together. But if you're relying on people that are saying, this is what I just did, or this is what I intend to do, then you're getting a patchy, late and incorrect information because we're all human and we don't like to report on time on everything that we do. 
Yeah, exactly. Because if you are thinking about that, like a Jira ticket, if your sprint planning is every two weeks, you don't really feel the need to move, move the ticket in the UI anywhere. But when you are thinking about like a piece of code that is connected to an issue to get moving forward with it or like to be happy with to complete it you will commit it like all developers will commit their work let's say at the end of the day or when the feature is ready or when the block is ready but with jira there's you don't really win with it like it's easy not to care and then you've been working for like two days on a ticket that is still in a backlog and here comes user error that you said then you could do the trick of okay let's put it into the next in progress for a while and then it's like well it's been there for a minute now i, I will put it to done now and there's quite quite fast cycle time for you <laughs> so yeah i think there is there is no end you know we've, there's all sayings about uh, what is infinite and what is not so i think uh, developer ingenuity about bypassing processes and rules is one of the infinite infinite things i think you want to get down to the like understanding why developers and other humans behave like that. Uh, and, and you solve these things, not by just adding more process or even by like for enforcement, you can force. I've seen uh, companies that have a merge gate in GitHub that forces, you know, things on the ticket on the issue on the Git uh, Jira ticket. It has to be in progress, has to be assigned to you. Otherwise you can't merge. It's doable. It's going to force people to cheat as, as little as they can. But instead, if you focus on understanding why they're, they can't be bothered to update the status of the Jira ticket or to create a Jira ticket for their work, you know, what we've seen and, you know, back to all of these, uh, you know, hundreds and uh, of thousands and millions of PRs and commits that we've uh, uh, researched. Uh, even in organizations that really try hard to tie their Git and Jira work together using, you know, referencing the Jira ticket from, from the branch name or the PR or the commit, even when they're working, um, clean, there's still 20, 30% of Git work that is not like logged anywhere and is not connected to any Jira ticket. It's just like shadow work. No one knows about. And it's just because we developers, we, I, I, there's a bug. I'm, or I'm seeing something bad in the code. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to open a PR, get some code review, do all the tests. And then the Jira ticket that needs to be created to match all of this is the least of my concerns. That's the, the non-fun part of, you know, this crazy fix or improvement that I made and just, you know, uh, made the app run 10 times faster or did some other nice thing. So you want to solve this at the, at the source by finding, is there another way I can cause this information to, to get created? And, streamline my experience as a developer so, so that this happens organically. Don't force it on me so I will cheat. I can create a dummy Jira ticket. I have a script for that. Yeah, that's easy. But if you can be smart and just help me create the, the ticket automatically and just give me a nice button to approve it and bring this to where I live, like I don't want to open Jira, bring this to, to, to my Slack or my IDE or whatever window or my shell. Now, it's just a click away from me. And oh yes, that's great. And we've been, we've started to rely on this flow. And so we create less Jira tickets to begin with, but then we just add them in, in our flow automatically, you know, just because we're, we're dog footing our own product. That's the way to solve for some, for some of these uh, 
discrepancies in late data. Yeah, I think it's good what you said, like bringing it to their like their field, like bring it to the ID, bring it to the shell. I think that that's good for like if you need a reminder to do it, if you need to actually, if you just need a reminder to do it, but if if you wouldn't care about it, because like um, the Jira metrics that usually is followed by like the management and the project managers and that kind of people, developers don't really, well, by default, they don't really care about what is what are the stats behind the Jira ticket. But I think to close in that gap, like we can remind them, but if they don't care, they don't care. But we can help that by making the reporting as transparent as possible, like showing that these are the metrics that the, we are tracking the whole team with and actually showing the importance like that could help in that situation then also. But I, I feel like that you can't, as you said, this is like so prone to user error. You can't get it perfect, but there's ways to help it in different areas. Yes, I um, totally agree. I think I think a reminder is not always enough. So if you're just reminding me of a, a task that I hate and is going to distract me, then yeah, maybe you've helped me avoid some mistakes. But instead of just reminding me, combine that with making that task like dead easy. I've already wrapped this in a gift wrap for you. Just click OK and it's done. You don't have to actually do the task. I've done it for you. Just confirm it. Um, when you take that extra step and you're doing it correctly and you're doing it smart, this no longer becomes a, a tedious thing for me to, OK, I have the reminder, but now I have to go and do this? No, it's already done. And all of these data reporting tasks, there is nothing of intelligence around them. Right? Like all of the information about what I just did or or my, my, my code is in the branch, it's in the PR. You just want me to, to wrap this and give this another title for Jira? Come on, you can do this for me. Request my time when you need my intelligence and otherwise do this for me and maybe just let me control this with a with an okay. And maybe tomorrow, let me click, a, you know, toggle something that puts this on autopilot. I can fix this in retrospect. I can, there's always an undo. Just do this for me and, and, and don't, ask me to do these um, mundane things uh, anymore. But I, I want to maybe differ, Lowry, on, on whether devs care or not about metrics. Like there's a, le a level that says, yes, developers do not always care about the metrics that their managers care about. But I think from what I've seen, it's a combination. If if the metrics are the right, right ones that the team believes in, it's not just uh, some management uh, top-down uh, motion that says we need to measure ABC, you need to be churning out more lines of code. So the metrics that I believe uh, really represent better work, better productivity, happier teams, then I as a developer would care at least enough to make sure that uh, we're doing good and that my, if we can get those metrics to align with what I want to happen, I want to push my work fast. I want my PRs to be shiny and great and never fail. I don't want to get up at 3 a.m. with uh, down downtime and, and production bugs. That's what I care about, right, as a developer. I want to finish my work. I want to do great stuff, great features, fix all those nasty bugs, and I want uh, this to happen quickly. I want to help my teammates with, you know, do the same. If the metrics align with, with my, you know, basic desires here, then yes, I will, co like, not just cooperate, I will own those metrics as part of the team. Um, if, if that's the, the culture, if that's the, the way metrics are introduced to the organization and then managed, 
They're not giving us a directive from the gods above. You need to measure this, and this is your goal for the quarter. I've seen this get embraced by developers. Yeah, you're you're right. You're right. Like, um, not all developers care about, but there is people who care. But I think it's more like from a developer point of view, you really need to put some effort into the reporting and into the KPIs that you are um, like presenting to the team. Because if if the people who collect the metrics about like the progress of the project, um, if they don't understand the full life cycle of the project, it can be um, not that motivating to follow the metrics. Like for example, if we are following productivity in some kind of metrics, like making new features that like following lead and cycle times uh, and uh, maybe lately you've been just gaining a lot of bugs that you are fixing and you are working as hard as you can but it doesn't really show in the report card you are not bringing in any features so I think it's like really really important to carefully choose the metrics and always always look at the big picture and I think this is where I, um, as a data engineer, I fault myself that when, because there, there, there is a lot of data, all the services that you use, there's tons of data and you can just tap into it. But when to stop, like how deep should I go? Like, should I go to like nitpick, like I can get all the information about this one developer's work what what should I do with it? How should I present it to the team? And the answer is you don't you don't take that one person. And I think from what you said in the beginning that you analyzed all those uh, seven hundred thousand pull requests, and you mentioned that you didn't go to the code, you didn't go that deep to see what what are they writing. So it's like really important to think like what KPIs are we presenting which which of these would show the whole picture and do not go any deeper than that because if you start to bring out a person instead of a team that can be really risky if you want some <laughs> want to follow these metrics for long or if you want to motivate your developers to actually use these systems in a way that then produce good data yeah i totally agree I think there's uh, there's multiple things to uh, think about when like you're talking about how deep should I go with metrics. There's a uh, like on on the code side, we don't have access to code bases. Um, it's not part of what Blender does. And while there is probably you know great information in understanding the kind of of changes made in PRs, like are people refactoring functions or adding parameters uh, or writing new code, uh, new new functions or changing APIs. That's not part of what we are. We are more interested in the process side. But when looking at how do I use metrics and, you know, you, you're not measuring just, you know, for fun. You need to be measuring things that you can uh, utilize to improve. So the choice of which metrics to, to, to use, what to measure, what to show, what to actually uh, avoid measuring. First, it comes, comes down to you're going to get more of what you measure. So measure the right things if you want that behavior. If you're measuring code lines, you will get more code lines. Do you want more code lines? I'm not sure. Same goes for a, a lot of technical metrics that used to uh, dominate the, this field uh, 15 and 20 years ago. The things that are easy to measure are probably not the ones that you want. And your developers will either game them 
or even you know unknowingly get biased towards those metrics if your organization leans on them and you want to make sure that these gets you the right behavior rather than a technical artifact like lens of code or number of comments or even number of PRs that people merge that alone like these metrics are dangerous in the, in the sense that yes you'll get more of those you'll get your your metrics will improve does that mean that your process has improved and the other part that or angle that you should be aware of and you know is the culture and and the personal aspect if you're using metrics to stack rank developers and saying this person is better than that person then you're probably missing the point you're going to encourage uh the wrong behaviors we believe that most of the metrics that actually matter are team metrics they're not even measurable at the personal level and trying to go for personal metrics and for comp- comparisons is going to kill your morale it's going to kill your culture so you have like a i don't know end up with some backstabbing or complete the break of trust between management and developers and not even for a good reason because all these metrics are much less powerful than team metrics. Yeah, we we we're, we're seeing we're getting those kinds of questions from, you know, people that want to go into metrics and dev metrics like how will my engineers feel? Is this going to mess up my culture? And my, our answer is your developers need to choose the metrics. They need to like we okay, we provide a ton of metrics. They need to choose what metrics to focus on, what metrics they believe in and where to start. And if you're doing this as an, a, a bottom-up approach, and letting the team decide, okay, I'm going to focus in the next, uh, I don't know, iteration or quarter or whatever on this thing, which I think we have a problem with because the numbers show it, show us we have some issue in, you know, our PRs are too large or our pickup time for PRs is, is too long or anything, then it's their choice. And it's a tool for them to improve, not a tool for management to say, you're doing better than, than, than she is. Um, and we need to remember that developers are, Kind of, it's a kind of an art, right? We're not just uh, putting on bricks uh, on top of each other. So recognizing that metrics will never capture everything in, about how people work, but they are a lens to let me see where we have problems and where we can improve. It's Laurie here again. Many businesses are in the middle of what's called a DevOps transformation, or they're considering to launch an enterprise DevOps initiative. If this includes also your business, we have a webinar recording for you. In this webinar, we present topics related to how key metrics can help you better understand the progress of your DevOps transformation and how to use them to shape the right behaviors within your organization. You can find the link to the webinar in the show notes. Now, let's get back to our show. Two things come to my mind from this conversation. I have a five, six years uh, background with uh, purchase to pay business process, which was basically um, you as a company want to buy something, and then you want to receive those goods and you're going to receive the invoice, and then you're going to pay that invoice. So you had uh, three important steps in the process. You have the permission to make the purchase, then you receive the goods or services, and then the second step is you receive an invoice related to those delivery of goods or services. And then the last one is you make the payment to the supplier. And the, basically three steps in the process, and uh, invariably it happened it was three distinct services integrated together to deliver this this uh, procure-to-pay process. I have heard you talking about Slack 
talking about Jira and talking about Git. And of course, I am, and IDE maybe is the, is the fourth one. I'm trying to piece them together in uh, what is the universe where this data is going to be collected? And then the second question is, what is the relationship between the engineering teams metrics and then engineering leaders metrics? Are they abstraction from one to the other? Or are they distinct set of metrics derived in two different ways? Mm, that's an interesting, interesting couple of questions. So, uh, first of all, I like uh, your you mentioned universe of of uh, like I like the analogy because I'm thinking about this like uh, kind of like a solar system or, or you know any kind of uh, stellar formation. The way we think about this, uh, there is a core. And if we're talking about software engineering, this is going to be Git. That is the source of truth of what is actually happening to the code base. And this is how dev teams typically deliver value. Incremental code changes to code base and deployments of that to the world. There is the systems like Jira and um, signals from your pipeline, your delivery pipeline that let you know about both the planning side, what is going to, what, would the, what do we need to do? What do we... Uh, plan to do, timing, order of things, priorities, and so on. Uh, so that lends context to the work. Um, otherwise, it's just, a, you know, you need to read the code to understand what's going on. And then there's additional satellites that are, you know, going to be appearing in some of the constellations, but not in others. And the more you have, the better picture you have. So things like Figma or planning and designing system, which you know, is an artifact where some people work on things that eventually become code or higher order roadmap planning uh, systems like AHA and whatnot. These are all are interacting like layers on top of the, what I call the left side of the cycle time, what happens before you start coding. Then you have feature flags and other runtime or semi runtime artifacts. Like a feature flag is a change to your product. And if you want to look at a feature or a fix that you've deployed, but it's it's in production, but it's not open to anyone. So there's a like additional stages beyond deployment, which uh, relate to feature flags or even how many customers or users have access and are actually using this. So information about actual runtime, health, usage, is it getting used by a thousand customers or by a million? These are all signals that people care about as part of the development process, even though they're after development. Then you have testing systems or, you know, Excel sheets where people do QA on or manage their quality work on. So there is like a variety of disparate systems that can provide some signal or some information about some progress in parts of the process. We've obviously not integrated with all of that universe yet. And there's always a, a place where you say, oh, I have the core, all the rest is an enrichment, and, but I'm not going to rely on that. But I think one should always think about all of these signals as additional context, additional information that if you can be smart about, you can do so much more to let, you know, to help the developers, to help the team uh, work better, to understand bottlenecks, right? Is this waiting in a QA queue somewhere and why? That's information I can maybe get from a testing orchestration or a manual QA tracking system, if that's what you're using in your organization. Is this thing stuck in the CI queue, right? Because my CI is very heavy. That's a different kind of bottleneck, but it's relevant, right? Longer CIs 
mean less less productive developers. We all know that. If my CI is a 30-minute thing and I am like need to, I'm, I'm like now waiting for this machine to churn, um, I'm not going to be as productive as a 30-second CI cycle. It's a fact of life. So there's the core and some very common sources that cover most of the process. And then there's a lot of satellites that you want to be able to pull in as additional sources of light and information to how you understand the large, like the larger dev, dev process from initial idea all the way to a happy customer or happy user. Yeah, I think in, in today's age, when you are following some metrics or team metrics, all this kind of which surround around software development, I think it's usually just like project management, Jira, code code management, it's going to be Git, and there's going to be the continuous integration, as you said, which is, well, whatever Jenkins, GitHub actions nowadays. Um, what I've been battling with myself lately, I've been trying to like read a lot of books around these topics, like how to build teams that, uh, how to build effective teams and thinking that through the data data world like how do you measure and how do you build product highly efficient teams and i think this this comes back to the topic we discussed like how deep you want to go with your data are you gonna measure one person but i think one one thing one book that i want to highlight is a uh, book called code metrics it's written by jonathan alexander it's in the o'reilly media um, library and it it the book draws a lot of parallels with the book and the movie the money ball which is based on the um, famous baseball analytics uh, where they actually then measure every single like movement of the people in the team and trying to use those analogies to then collect data that is in this you know, universe which we want to measure uh, it, it it definitely is not the core <laughs> information that you need but the satellites that you said that you want to bring in some additional uh information and i've been battling with myself like i really like this book it says good things because it brings my biggest takeaway of those metrics were that it measures interpersonal metrics. So we've been talking about, well, CI, you can't really affect if it's good code, if it's good product, the CI will probably be good or that we are reflecting the data. But we've been talking about this like uh, Git data that is about the code or Jira about the project and well, how you move the tickets in there. It's relying on that, but to bring kind of like the actual ways of working because it it talks about these kind of defensive and offensive metrics and the most important defensive metrics were like how well do you support the team and that was like a huge huge thing in there because some senior members of the team they well they might or might not uh, deliver big tickets but those are like the most valuable members of the team to help the juniors and the other people and how do you measure that how do you pull this information uh, and use it so it's kind of um maybe if you have any um 
<laughs> opinions on it, but it sounds good. It sounds useful because people don't only code and move tickets. They do other things in the workday. But then we are going to the level of measuring people on the person level. So yeah. So first of all, um, I think we uh, probably another uh, constant fact of life is that the top drawer of uh, metrics uh, is in the sports industry, uh, in particular in the US. Like all those stats about uh, combinations of people and teams and weather and uh, results, probably a lot of very deep things going on there that we can learn from. And there's a lot of good an analogies because we think development is a team sport. So yeah, you can count rebounds for a specific person, but the interesting things are in the combinations. We have uh, found that at least two thirds of some of a developer's time is not spent coding, right? We all do other things that are part of our work part of a larger code effort. They're not coding directly. The whole review process is not coding. And then there's the planning, the meeting. Sometimes you need to think about solving a problem. That's part of the reason why we and Linear B did, did not focus on the code as the main analysis point. There are a bunch of very useful code metrics that you could, like if you wanted to go into complexity and, you know, security, uh, um, um, signals, um, code smells. There's a, there's a lot of things you could measure in code base, but we've focused on how to uh, optimize non-coding time. Like how to optimize all the rest, because that's where most of us spend most of our time. While I agree, it's, uh, I think the useful metrics are the ones that look at the combinations and how someone is, when you're looking at how someone is performing, the question should be, how are they performing in the team for the team? And I'll like one example that I use when I'm, uh, you know, showing customers and prospects around Linear B. One of the metrics you can see about specific developers is the number of reviews they've, they've provided. And that's a good way to, to understand where some, if someone is ramping up in a team, if you have a new developer or a new person on the team and they're beginning to ramp up their reviews, that's when you know they have you know, establish their place, they have learned enough, they are now able to contribute on a higher level. Typically, you see that you see that number going up as people gain both the confidence and the knowledge and the stance from which they can review other people's code in a new team or even just as junior, junior developers growing up. So that is an example of a personal metric, right? But always in the lens of how is this person helping the team? And totally agree with your, you know, identifying that the best and most crucial developers on the team are not necessarily the ones that are writing more, more, most code. I think sometimes there's an art in, in writing less code uh, or even negative code. I think that's the PRs we like the best where the code base shrinks. And the like the, that glue, that the way that uh, people help each other and help the team eventually do better is the, the secret sauce you want to be, you want to be measuring. Another thing that, you know, maybe some sometimes different from, what you typically see in sports metrics, like you should be asking, why am I even measuring things, right? In sports, a lot of like, there's two main reasons to measure and talk about metrics. One is entertainment, right? People are talking about these metrics so that me as a couch player can have more in context and it's fun. And the other is the, the serious metrics that go into the actual team building and coaching and, and strategy, right? They're, they overlap, they're not the same. And there's a lot of depth and money and, and technology and, and, you know, deep data going into the second uh, type of, of, of metrics and stats. You should be asking, what am I going to do with those, with that information? Right. Just having data 
for the for the sake of data and for fun is nice, but is this something I can use to improve? So I need a metric is useless if you're not going to be able to action something on that, either to learn, to try and improve, to track and, and improve. Uh, otherwise, it's just a number on a dashboard that no one cares about. That criteria really clamps down on the number of metrics you need and the type of metrics that you can use. Because if you're just measuring things, okay, nice. Is it something you can do something with the result? What is the insight? What is the action you can take? And we really like to focus not on just metrics that you can learn from, but also can I provide you something that for every one of those metrics or uh, numbers, something that will solve or help mitigate the problem to begin with, right? Not just in retrospect. I don't want to see in a month that I had a problem somewhere. Show me the PR that is beginning to become a problem while it's still small so I can fix it. And then the metric will improve on its own. Ideally, you can like prevent or preempt most of the problems. And you're doing that by saying, okay, what is causing those metrics to go up? Let me focus on those instances, the specific PR, the specific instance of a behavior that you want to change and let the people change it and, and fix it directly. So you want leading indicators and you want actionable insights that help you solve the problem. Don't show me that my car is heated up. Show me that it's heating up right now and what should I do about it? Yeah, there's an really, um, you need some experience on, well, if you have like a good metric, then that will talk for itself most of the time. But actually a funny thing that I've noticed when I'm presenting a new metric or a graph or just something, presenting data, visualizing data and presenting it, um, I've yet to give it a name, but I feel like it's some kind of a syndrome. If you have a one hour long meeting where you are going to present it, talk about it for like 50 minutes before showing anything, then show it because I've noticed with well, this applies to all level of people, managers, developers, and every people. If you start your meeting, share your screen, and there's a graph, everyone's eyes will be glued onto it without understanding actually what it is. What is it trying to say? Well, of course, this says to the quality of the metric also, or the visualization, but I've noticed that the more you can talk about it, the more you can plan and actually like bring it into words and everyone is on the same page before actually showing anything is so beneficial when building these kpis because if you start it by just showing showing the graph everyone's eyes will be glued to it there will be questions for the rest 50 minutes of the meeting about it we will not go to the topic it and yes. they want it to be the end product. <laughs> so and, like, and, and and all the and the most of these questions are going to be to 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 say why this data it could not be right. This is not right. This is not correct. Exactly. The ten you're seeing here, this should be an eight. Yeah. So people love data, love talking about it, and love uh, arguing with data. Um, that's a natural phase we all go through. I totally agree. And this goes back to context, right? The data is useless without the context, and you should be good at setting the the context, like what is this actually good for? Why are we measuring this? What is the meaning of this going up or down or or being constant or changing? That is more important than the actual numbers in many cases. Let me try to make an interim summary of what we have discussed, and then we'll see if there's uh, more gaps to fill on this one. But 
the data has been spread across multiple dis- different systems, and it looks like a constellation. There is a there must be a big sun in the middle of one of the solar system, and then you have this this planets around it, and in this case, it would be Git. You don't want to build an analytics and uh, a basically approach to data that relies on people's discipline to carry out a separate instance of reporting information, but rather go to the to the where the work is happening, and then find a way how to guide the organization through those supportive systems and knowing that they are supportive systems. And then to find the right metrics would be there was there was a wonderful quote I need to go back and check that is engage the team to define their own metrics on a team level. So then they don't feel like those metrics have been given them from the good or from the goods, but they are actually uh, something that is meaningful for them and they feel like they want to own them and start driving them. And uh, yeah, I think I think that's pretty much I heard some I heard you say, Yishai, that when you bring the context of work into the IDE itself instead of making a separate tool, that would be that would be great as well. But that would be my desperate attempt to to try to condense all of this into in into one minute. Uh, am I missing out on something there? No, I, I think this is this is a great summary, Lapa. Um, maybe well, like one additional aspect that we've touched on is going beyond metrics to um, everything you said about where the metrics come from, what to measure those, uh, you know, solar systems. And obviously, like in any good story, there are many suns or multiple suns because organizations have multiple Git uh, instances, they have acquisitions and history, and then you you have multiple suns on your horizon. But I would say the, um, you know, going beyond metrics to the area of how I help developers with automating away mundane tasks and with solving the problems when they're still small, which is a jump from metrics to action. And it, in many cases, predates metrics in the flow of the data. So I know that some metric is important. I can identify initial problems or instances that someone should take, should care about now. And now I can do some like real-time orchestration of the between the humans and the machines involved in process to make sh- sure things are okay or things are improving. And, you know, the easiest example, we talked about PRs waiting for someone to start reviewing them. If a PR is waiting too long, alert the team, let the team know. Then they can solve this by starting to review the PR. And this is done without thinking about the metric, right? It's just thinking about PRs should not wait too long. The metric will improve because now PRs are not waiting too long. So that final piece of, Automation or orchestration is, I think, what is needed to complete. That's the whole view of uh, how to use data to improve dev teams. Yeah, the challenge usually comes, uh, especially, well, I'm, I'm lucky in a place that I, I do consulting so I can build a solution which works there. Of course, you always want it to be generalized to work anywhere, but I feel like with Linear B, you have to build a product that works everywhere. And when you talk about these integrations that bring it to my life, bring it to my IDE, bring it to my, well, communication system, in this case, Slack, there's a huge challenge. And I feel like building those kind of integrations or trying to help in those areas can feel like 
kind of neat picky work like building let's say if it's a slack board whatever it's gonna be but when it plugs into like the ways of working it's much bigger thing like if it's in your world if it's in your id if it's in your slack the meaning is much bigger than the work maybe seems to be and the effect in data and that we can actually improve the data if we just follow the methods or the procedures properly that's just like a side product of like making the work easier for you yeah we 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 really believe in um if i can make the day-to-day work of the developer easier more streamlined reduce friction remove context switches defend my calendar defend my time all of these things developers care about if i do that right i will have the hearts and minds of developers and their their, their fingers and the metrics the dev process the managers will be happy as a result but that is our core like uh, approach to improving you you make it easier for the developer you remove friction you you and then organically and naturally the important things surface and 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 get better so as once you find that uh bridge between what makes a developer happy and what makes a good process then you've won that's that's our approach then you have won then you have won and you i we believe that you can only win when you have the developers if you're just building dashboards with metrics for managers you're not going to win you're not going to really succeed in in improving fundamentally improving the way the the dev team works thank you for listening as usual we have enclosed the links to the social media profiles of our guests to the show notes please have a look you can also find links to the literature referred in the podcast on the show notes alongside other interesting educational content if you haven't already please subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating on our platform it means the world to us also check out our other episodes for interesting and exciting talks Finally, before we sign off, I would like to remind again that all the speeches from the DevOps conference are available online to listen and watch for free. You can find the link from where else than in the show notes. Now, let's give our guests an opportunity to introduce themselves. I say now, take care of yourself and keep on zero day delivering. I'm Ishai. I'm the CTO for uh, Litter B. I'm based here in Tel Aviv. I've been a software developer and then manager in various capacities my entire career love thinking about problems and solving problems and love my work at Linerb where we focus on helping developers improve i'm laura huhta i do consulting as a freelance uh, in my own company called data nuggets mostly i do uh, like team metrics team project management metrics at the moment i'm also finding it really exciting i'm working on completely different projects uh, like in i've been working in uh, like the mining industry i've been working in healthcare all that data is really exciting but i think i excel in the team measuring metrics <laughs>